Hello, everyone, and welcome back to HOA, It's a True Story. Today, our guest is Sierra Campbell. She's an on-site general manager, and we're speaking with her today on the ins and outs of on-site. Sierra, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to HOA, It's a True Story. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Also joining us today from GB Group is our own Megan Hoop and Lauren Kalees. Hello. Welcome, ladies. Hello. So you got the girl power squad today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Sierra, we always like to start out finding a little bit about our guest and how you got into this whole world of HOA. So I actually, I love telling this story because I, I laugh at myself. I was 21 and I was going to college to be a nurse. And oh. I was looking to get out of retail and go to something more office-like. And I found the posting for an HOA reception position. I had no idea what an HOA was. And I interviewed for it, pretty much lied my whole way through it. And <laughs> I said, I don't think that's the job that I thought I was applying for. Uh. And uh, I went home and I did a ton of research, not expecting a call back. But when I did get the call back and they offered me the position, I walked in there already at least having a general understanding of what I was getting into. And uh, and I never left. At least you did the research. Yes. <laughs> Do you live in an HOA? No. Yeah. So if you don't live in one, then it's usually... Something you have to kind of find out what it's all about. At the time, actually, I did live in an HOA and I didn't even know it. My my parents had to tell me, they're like, you live in an HOA. I've had that same experience, yes. (laughs) So you're currently a general manager on site. What is the primary difference between a portfolio manager and a general manager? I always like to say it's the scope of work in the contract. When you're a portfolio... <laughs> That's near and dear to our heart. Right. <laughs> well, it, it really, that is kind of what it comes down to, that and, and customer service. When you are a portfolio manager, your scope of work may be a quarter or half of what an on-site scope would be. And that's why you're able to manage several communities. When you're on-site, it's the full spectrum. It's everything covered under that scope of work. And you're able to, to really get into the customer service and the relationship building. So do you think that you had different challenges then as a portfolio manager versus yeah. on-site? Yeah, definitely. So I started out on-site, so I'm really big into going above and beyond in that relationship building. And when you're portfolio, you really don't have time to do that because you have multiple communities and a lot more doors. So it's, you know, a lot of it, you do get that relationship building. It's just not quite the same. It's not as personal. You have to get the work quickly done. How many on average, I mean, every company's a little bit different, but on average, how many communities does a portfolio manager take care of? So in the Bay, I hear that it's, can hover between 12 and 16. Here, I think it's around 10. For me, I actually had three, which is a little bit abnormal for the portfolio world, but the scope of work was bigger for those three. So it equaled out to the 10 that most people have. So when they're picking a management company, you refer to the scope of work, and I've actually never really heard anybody refer to it that way. So what kind of falls into the scope of work that you'd be contracted for? So it can be meeting load is one of the biggest expectations. So when we're building a portfolio for a manager, we look at the meeting requirements. Like quarterly, monthly. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be one of the things we look at. 
It's also services, services, whether or not that manager is going to charge if they're overseeing a lawsuit or a reserve project, or if that's going to be all inclusive in that contract. Are they overseeing a direct report or do they just have several admins working with them? I know from our side of the fence that we forget that managers have a huge workload and we kind of only think of our own little slice of the pie, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm sure when you're talking with some of the clients, you guys are finding that some manage that workload better than others. Absolutely. It's something that we, you're right, we do overlook. And when you think about it, then it's a realization of, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like We get it. We're, we're, you know, this is just one project or one property that you're talking about versus your entire portfolio. So yeah. it is, it is something that we forget, but it is, we acknowledge it. We know it's there. And it's good to be reminded. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is good to be reminded, especially when we feel like they're not giving us enough time and we forget that they're bouncing 16 different properties around and, and some of those boards may not be easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the biggest challenges is just dealing with the personalities and the different dynamics, but it is for managers. We are typically managing multiple projects. And the first thing that falls when that happens is communication and follow-up. And uh, there's definitely managers, myself included sometimes when, when it gets to be too much where I, I have to call a vendor and say, can you get me a proposal by Friday? (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) We try to help on those, but it's not always possible. Yeah. You mentioned communication. Do you find that as an onsite, it's a little bit easier to communicate? It is and it isn't. So the the challenge of being onsite poses is constant interruptions. You are accessible to the entire community. And then especially if you have a team, um, you have to be able to support them. Whereas when you're a portfolio, you're, you're behind a desk in an office that is and not located. Yes. Yeah. And you have time. You don't have to answer everything right then and there. So when you're trying to manage remembering to communicate or follow up with people and you're dealing with a huge level of interruptions, that it's, it's just a different type of challenge. Do you set office hours? That are like a college professor, you know, you can come to my office between 10 and 12. Otherwise, I'm working. I've made that attempt. Um, I started actually trying that for the first time earlier this year. It hasn't worked out yet, but but we'll get there. (laughs) Do you think that because of your ready available to the HOA members, do you think that in some ways they treat you more like a concierge? Yes. Yes. That is a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that is when you, you're- You get stuff that isn't really HOA related. All the time. All the time. All the time. I mean, I, I just a few weeks ago had a homeowner come in and they needed me to fix their garage door remote. That is, <laughs> that is not the HOA's responsibility. But I looked at it and I clicked it and I saw the light wasn't coming on. I said, oh, sir. And I opened it up. I said, you just need a new battery. But I'm happy to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, he walked in and said, I need to see the general manager. And that's (laughs) not my job, but then at the same time, that's the the culture I'm trying to spread with my team and show them that we should be going above and beyond. But it does set that expectation with the community. Keep trying for those office hours. I think if you stay consistent, you might get lucky there. It's definitely worth a try to keep going in that direction. So being an on-site, what size of property are we talking about? Is this only for like a high-rise or can any HOA 
choose to have an on-site? Any HOA can choose to have an on-site. Um, even if they don't have a clubhouse for the manager to be out of, you can outsource that. There are communities that will hire a general manager that don't have an on-site office. Is the price significantly different? It is, yes. Yeah, it's definitely, it's higher level of service. When you're a portfolio manager, that pay is spread across for that manager services, several communities. When you have an on-site, it's just directly on-site, but it's not just high rises to answer your question. It can be anything. It can be a 200 unit condo or several thousand single family homes. So if you don't have a clubhouse to have your on-site office, where do you work out of? So I, I actually had a community that didn't have an on-site office, and I just worked out of the regional office for my company. The oh. gourmet food truck. <laughs> <laughs> that would In be nice. In your car. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. No. Um, but yeah, you, you can you can set it up that way. If the community wants to pay for that level of service, they can definitely have it. Wow. What is the handoff like when you're trying to embed yourself into an on-site position? That's uh, got to be really tough. Yeah, transitioning into... I mean, it's it's pretty much a similar process for any community you're coming into. There's the standards we we always recommend of read all their you know last year's worth of minutes and read the CCNRs. But it's not you can do all of that, but once you you're not going to learn it until you're actually doing it. There's there's things we always say to do, but you're it took me for this last position I started last year probably a good six months to really dial it in. Gosh, we're working with a high-rise property that has an on-site, and I'm really amazed at all the different facets that they're required to not just know about, but intimately understand from move-in, move-out schedules, delivery schedules, what people are doing what. You know, somebody came running up, oh, I heard someone rattle my door. And they were like, well, yeah, the cleaning people wipe all the handles. (laughs) But it is really interesting to see the level of detail that you have to have as an on-site versus just being a community manager to a property where you're not really there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... I. I have a compliance manager and a facilities manager and they're laying eyes on the community and the detail of the community and the aesthetic standards that our homeowners expect all the time. But even then I'm still going out and I'm looking at it regularly because that's what is expected. And if there's a tree that's down, they expect when they call that I already know about it. What is a compliance manager? A compliance manager is they, they basically do the CCNR enforcement. They look for people who have let their homes go essentially, or just. So that might be more applicable to a single family home property. And condos actually. Oh, yeah. 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 Don't build that pergola if you haven't got architectural committee approval. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's the other thing they're looking at too, is architectural improvements that were not authorized by the association. What was the other position you mentioned you also had on your team? I have a facilities manager, and he's kind of mm-hmm. my my biggest counterpart. He helps me with all the project management because we have a lot of reserve projects at a community that's the scale of mine. Maintenance, ongoing maintenance, yeah, the regular review of stuff. And then never mind that you have COVID throwing in new protocols that suddenly have to post notices for all this stuff. And oh, yeah. So th- that's how your team is built out to help you with that. Yeah. That's awesome. I know a few of the on-site managers that do get kind of stuck in the concierge world, but they really enjoy, like you were saying, that one-on-one 
personal service. Do you feel like you really get to know these people and their families and their pets? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. so the quickest way to a homeowner's heart is through their pet. Um, every every clubhouse True. I've ever worked at, I've always put a sign out that says pets are community members too. We've got treats at the front desk because oh, that's, that. and also it's great for me and my team just to get some time with dogs during the work day. Sure. <laughs> as long as they're not biting you. But yeah, I, I definitely, that is one of the joys of being on site. And I, I started off on site and did portfolio a little bit and lost some of that connection building. And now being back on site, I, I'm loving getting to know the homeowners that I have there. Have you had any situations where someone's really ill and you're you know, worrying about like hospice arrivals and that kind of stuff where you're having really to be there for them at a deeper level? I have actually, I was just emailing with a homeowner this last weekend at a community I managed almost five years ago and we're still really close and and she took a fall and Mm. um, I definitely, even though I don't work at that community anymore, I've stayed in touch with her and I worry and I reached out to her general manager and I'm like, Hey, like, what can we do? What can Are they we do? Okay? Yeah. You do. You develop really serious connections with them. I've, I'm still in touch with a lot of the homeowners I've worked with in the past. Well, that's a real testimony to your skills and your personality. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. How is preparing for reserves with a property like this? It would seem like it's a lot more extensive and you have to, you mentioned having several reserve projects going on. Mm-hmm. So you actually have somebody just helping you keep those going. So building the reserves, is this really a challenge for these types of properties? It is. It is. The scope or the scale of a project is so much larger, especially when you have a large scale community. And so planning every detail and really working with our vendors and our reserve analysts to make sure we get everything in there right for the funding alone um, is huge because then you get to the project in a few years and you realize, oh, we left something out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we might not have enough funds. But thankfully, we have a lot of really great experts that help us prepare. Otherwise, there's... How frequently do you look at your reserves? Do you look at them every meeting? Not every meeting, but it's, it's... What I like to do is at the beginning of the year, I look and say, okay, this is everything that our reserves say are due this year. Here's where we're at funding wise. Um, here's what honestly can, doesn't need to be done yet. Let's, let's pick out, you know, board members, what you want to do. What are your top five projects you want to see get done? And then we get going. And maybe you have a few that you hadn't counted on like SB 326. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly you have to fund those. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely been that. Not at this community I'm at now, but communities I've worked with in the past. Yeah. So it sounds like you think that the communities get better management services when they have an on-site. Yeah. I mean, it just really, it's, it's a more intimate, it is more intimate, but it's, it's really just what that community needs. It's going to vary. Some communities, some only have 23 homes and don't need on-site, right? you know? So it just, it's better service in the sense that that's what they're looking for and they need, but not all of them need it. Being on site, do you have to have a monthly meeting or do they want monthly meetings still or does it break it out to quarterly because your still attention is focused on just them? Being on site, especially with a large scale, we have to meet monthly. We don't always meet in the same kind of meeting every month, but it's definitely a monthly thing. There's things that just can't wait. Do you have committees for these projects as well as your board? 
We do have committees, but no, we don't have any that oversee projects. They just contribute opinions? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Valued opinions, definitely. (laughs) Committee's purpose is great because they are so eager to help and research and provide feedback. And, you know, they're the ones who, they live there. So they see everything day in and day out that sometimes we don't always think of because we don't live there. Do you find that being on site, that homeowners are more willing to participate as a board member? No. (laughs) You know, it's um, finding volunteers is hard. Getting even quorum for elections is challenging to vote people onto a board. But it it just, I say every community has a different personality. It depends on the personality of that community, whether or not you're going to get engagement or not. I had a community that was condos and mostly investment owners. So it was all rented out. But we were able, you know, to get engagement and get volunteers every time to run for that board. On a large scale property, do you need more board members than you normally would on a maybe a smaller portfolio? It depends on the structure of how that community was developed. So if you have a master planned community, sometimes you can have several boards depending on the village, but not necessarily. Sometimes you can have several thousand homes and just have your standard board set up of five people. Can you kind of Briefly explain what it means to be a master and a sub. Sure. So to be a master, you can have several sub associations that have their own set of CCNRs um, within that community that actually pay assessments into the master association. As well as their little smaller sub associations. Yep, as well as their small sub. Ooh, that could get get expensive quick. (laughs) Yep. Which do you like better, a portfolio management or do you like being on site? I like being on site. You know, I loved uh, the portfolio that I had. I actually really enjoyed working with them. But I I like the relationship building. I like the face-to-face interactions. Well, the name of the podcast is HOA It's a True Story. So we hope you have a story to share with us today. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of a story. There's a lot. It's going to be like, what's going to be appropriate? that's, That's the cool thing about... Our industry, if you've been in this as long as I have anyway, you have a lot of stories about a lot of different things. (laughs) (laughs) Being the month of Halloween, I always try to think if I have a spooky one, but I already told my spooky one last week. So, (laughs) and I think the scariest is just some of the people I've met. (laughs) My first on-site community I ever worked with, not as a manager, um, but in a support role. They're like, oh, by the way, we're going to do a huge remodel and this is like week two on the job and we're gonna have to relocate the entire clubhouse office because the whole thing's being taken so you're going out to your gourmet food truck (laughs) and i i think at the time i was like 22 23 and they're like um and we're gonna need you to coordinate that i'm like okay so i had to learn within a matter of weeks about internet phones, electrical, (laughs) desk space, um, getting a printer move that was huge and getting that all set up, all while juggling the million other things of that community at the same time. But I loved the board member I had there, the board president. He was, he just the whole time, he's like, I know you've got this. You know, he was so encouraging, so supportive. And that partnership that we had actually set a precedence for what my expectations are with a board Mm -hmm. ever since. And that was eight years ago. So that says a lot because we often think of ourselves in the role of the of the board then telling us what to do. But it's really great when they feel so supported, too. 
Yeah, it goes he, both ways. He really, um, he had such a big influence on me and it's carried on with me. It's wild what one interaction or experience, how that can influence you. I had a, a project on a master association and I was calling my crew guy trying to find him and he kept saying, I'm right here in front of the clubhouse and I'm <laughs> driving around. I can't find you. You're not really here. Where are you at? <laughs> but only to find out I was in one of the subs. And <laughs> I was in the wrong spot altogether. I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but you get there. Any of you have a story today? No, I just also didn't know I lived in an HOA until I built the pergola. <laughs> and painted my front door. And, and you heard the both were no-nos. <laughs> and I was like, an HOA, what is that? I've did you have there. to take it all down? We did not have to take the pergola down. Thankfully, we had copied our neighbors, <clears throat> so they retroactively approved that. But we did have to paint the door back. Well, it was fine. And then my husband tried to put up a different mailbox, too, and that was immediately denied. <laughs> so <laughs> Confrontation with the HOA board, you know, you never want to go there. It was it, if we had known, we would have followed the steps. But we bought the house. We they handed us two thousand pages of documents, and never once said, "Oh, by the way, you live in an HOA." Like I'm going to read all these papers. No, that's always a, that's a question I ask some of the guests. You know, did you actually read your CCNRs? Kind of snickering, and one guy said, "Yes, I did. I read them all." I'm like, "Oh, you did." I've come across some homeowners over the years that have read them all. Are they lawyers? Um, <laughs> some of them, yes, actually. that's hmm, I never thought about that. They're document readers. <laughs> or they're people who ran afoul of the HOA previously and are now in a new HOA and know to read their CCNRs. That's, I, that's definitely happened. <laughs> My brother, he lives in an HOA, and he didn't read his CCNRs until he was told that he could not get a truck. And this is not just a... Hey, I think I'm going to go buy a truck. This is, I planned to buy a truck for five years and I picked out my perfect truck and this is the truck I'm going to get. And now I cannot get a truck. So he joined a committee and a board and he got that role overturned and now he owns a truck. <laughs> and that usually is how people end up on a committee and a board. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've had an employee come and tell me they had to give the truck that we provided for the employee. They had to give it back because they weren't allowed to have a logoed vehicle in their parking lot. No commercial vehicles. <laughs> like, what? Where are you going to park it? And they didn't have any place to park it. You know, some of the streets in some of these HOAs are so small yes. and tight. You know, God forbid you happen to be trying to get out of your garage when the garbage guy's coming in. <laughs> You're stuck until they get mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. There are spots in the community I'm managing right now that are just like that. And so we don't allow typically any overnight parking except for with a pass. Um, and you can only park on one side of the street because the, the main thing is their emergency vehicles can't get through right. when they're that small. Yeah, that's, I didn't even think about emergency vehicles. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys, thank you for joining us, Sierra. It's been a really good and informative understanding of what on-site management really is about. And I'm glad that there's managers like you out there supporting those families and uh, homeowners that, you know, are looking for that little bit more personal experience and are willing to to pay to have that team on board for their HOA and good for you guys. Glad to have you. Thank you. If you need more info, you can reach out to us at www.gbgroupinc.com or inquiry at gbgroupinc.com. <laughs> <laughs>